Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week we are discussing all things emotional eating. It kind of gets a bad rap and I think a lot of people think of emotional eating as purely a bad thing. We should stop doing it. But I am joined this week by dietitian Catherine Kimber who is here to kind of dispel a few myths and give us some clarity on emotional eating and how it's actually not always a bad thing. We get into it from an intuitive eating perspective and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Now we do go on to discuss um, binge eating disorder so I'm just going to flag that there Um, and I have you know if that resonates with you or if you're concerned about that I have linked to the beat website on how to you know what to do if you or a loved one is um, dealing with binge eating disorder so please check that in the show notes but before we do that we're gonna get into train happy trooper of the week cue the music So this week's train happy moment comes from Laura. She says, my train happy moment was that I went on a walk and ended up going for a longer one because the views were so beautiful. I stopped to take photos along the way. I lost track of time and it wasn't about the steps or the distance. It was just about being lost in the moment and moving for joy. And I love that. I feel like that's so relatable in the lockdown world with with which we live in, particularly here in the UK. I don't know where you are in the world and what your COVID rules are, but walks are like the bread and butter for a lot of us at the moment. And, you know, just not worrying about those steps and just being in the moment is so important and a really lovely thing to celebrate. So thank you for that, Laura. If you want to send in your train happy moment or you have a question for the podcast, then please do send it in to trainhappypodcast at gmail.com or you can direct messages on Instagram, which is at trainhappypodcast. And we would love to hear from you. Okay, so without further ado, I will stop blabbering on. Let's hear from Catherine and all things emotional eating. Welcome, Kat, to the Train Happy Podcast. How are you doing? How have you been this January 2021? Oh, I've been... Um, well, thank you very much for having me, first of all. Very excited to be here. But yeah, this this January's been a rocky one, I think, for a lot of people. Um, I've personally been very, very busy with, with work. I've launched a community. I've got an upcoming course. I've you know, got one-to-one clients. So that side of things is very busy. But What's been quite different for me this January is that I've been doing lockdown on my own. So it's just yeah. been quite a different experience um, to what we've had over the last year. So, yeah, ups and downs, as I think everyone's experiencing. Yeah, I think I think this lockdown feels like it's been a bit more isolating in general. And then I think that's only magnified if you're on your own and 
just feels, I don't know. It, and it also maybe for you, it kind of feels like a long time since we've just spent time with friends and like, and family and just had like a proper connection with people. It feels like much longer this time. I don't know. It feels like a really yeah. distant memory of like going for dinner at your friend's house or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And no clear end in sight. And Stuart, my partner's away at the moment a bit indefinitely. So there's like, how long am I going to be lying for? Like, is it going to be another two weeks? Is it going to be till mid-March? Mm. And this morning he said, it looks like it might be till mid-March. So I'm like, ooh, okay. It's okay. It's fine. I just yeah. need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <When I> know. <laughs> and I do think, and I, I, I even told myself like at Christmas, and I hope people listening kind of feel encouraged that just I just feel like this time next year this will be a distant memory and we will have a I don't know we have some normality back and yeah yeah, it'll be so it'll be it'll be much better but it's so hard it's it's hard I still feel like you know we're in the thick of it now this is this is the hardest part it's like the final it's like the final push before you reach the summit isn't it yeah yeah and it's just with an unknown most, summit but it's there yeah it's yeah coming. it's there and the, it's cloud covered at the moment yeah. and and you know we've just we're already exhausted from the rest of the climb if we're going to keep using this metaphor yeah. then that's how it is but I'm I feel positive so yeah Kat I wanted to have you on today because you are a uh, a dietitian who specializes in intuitive eating and a non-diet approach, health every size aligned. Um, but it wasn't always that way for you. So I'm just really curious that <laughs> I just would love you to tell people about how you came to work with the intuitive eating framework and and kind of move away from traditional weight management practices, because I believe that's what you were in kind of before you made the switch. I was, before I made the switch. Yeah, and I think to be honest, a lot of people that come to this work have come to it from experiencing kind of the negative side effects of weight-centric practice or personally, professionally, and this just kind of makes a lot of sense. And for me, so I went to King's College in London and did my undergraduate degree in nutrition and dietetics to qualify as a dietitian and work in the NHS originally. And I've been practicing for about eight years now. And I practiced initially in the NHS, supporting very sick patients. And I was at Newham University Hospital, or Newham, Newham, I don't know what it's called now, Newham Hospital in East London, parts of, part of Bart's Trust in uh, the NHS. And I then went on to specialise as a renal dietitian, so a kidney dietitian. And I felt that in my practice, I was always someone that never felt like I love, I did love what I do, but I never felt like I was challenged enough and I just wanted to do more. So I was participating in research at King's. I had my private practice. I was doing, running marathons and doing all sorts of stuff outside to keep me like stimulated. And the opportunity came up to do my master's in clinical research back at King's again in 2014, 15. And, um, so my supervisor at King's at the time was like, Kat, you need to get onto this master's. So I did that, which was great. And I was like, right, now where do I go from here? Do I go back into my NHS job? And the opportunity actually came up to work in a weight loss clinic in West London, quite a high-end 
private practice and I thought that's great because it's I know that I want to start my own practice at some point in the future and it's just going to give me it's excited me it was something different and it's going to give me the experience of working in private practice and it was there that I, worked, I learned a lot more about the negative side effects of dieting and how people that would come into that clinic it was like paying a lot of money it was their last time the last chance to chance to really make a difference and I always thought in my NHS practice that the reason we had trouble with supporting people to lose weight was because we only ever saw them for 15 20 minutes at a time and of course like how can you do lifestyle change with someone when you're only seeing them seeing them for a very short period of time but in this clinic I was able to work with people on a very close one-to-one basis and I learned how that pursuit of dieting can create all sorts of issues around food increased emotional eating being on that constant cycle of doing one thing after the next after the next and yo-yoing and anxiety and guilt around food and lack of trust and connection with the body uh, eating disorders loss of control around food so all of those negative side effects and despite having all of that nutritional knowledge myself I personally didn't have the best attitude towards food as a young kid growing up I dieted from the age of 12 13 now I look back at the time I didn't know I was dieting and I think that's probably what got me into dietetics that interest in nutrition and I didn't have the best relationship with food and I think working in that clinic just also triggered every problem that I'd had growing up with food which was being in that constant cycle of sort of trying to be healthy and good and you know cut out sugar and count carbs and count calories and and not do anything extreme or obsessive but I was just constantly in that cycle myself of being on something and feeling out of out of control around food and it was there that somehow I came across non-diet approaches I think through Fiona Willer I listened to some podcasts and I remember when I heard about intuitive eating I like ran a mile away from it I was like absolutely no way like that makes sense but no I can't it, it goes against everything that I believe in that I've been taught growing up that I've been taught as a dietitian and I ran away from it and then I realized I couldn't keep running away from it and I started to try and apply intuitive eating in a weight loss clinic like in a in that clinic and it was just conflicting confusing um and I just had to move away from it and so Let's talk about I, that because how many people, and I'm sure you get this now working in the approach you do, but I just know that I get this question a lot, is that I think we get a lot of people who get stuck in that limbo of, I want to lose weight, I want to have a peaceful relationship with food, and intuitive eating seems like a great approach, and they therefore try and intuitively eat for weight loss, and I don't want to judge anyone for that because I totally get that desire and I think it's a really normal response to when you've always been on a diet so this just seems like another another diet thing but um why yeah why maybe let's go into a bit more depth as to why that didn't work you know especially for you in that clinical setting with these you know these paying clients and and why it kind of backfired yeah because I think you've both got to be on the same page and as a practitioner I was a bit confused for quite a while yeah 
uh, and I didn't fully understand the depths of intuitive eating and what it was about and non-diet approaches and health at every size. And I really love that me and you, Telly, came up with that scale, right? Mm. So there's a naught to 10 and a naught to minus 10. And there's the line between going from diet land into intuitive eating kind of non-diet approaches. And you can dip your toes in at one and two and a three and it can, you know, you, you learn a bit about it and you you're like oh okay but what about weight loss and you know there's still an element of confusion and how can I make this into a diet and and as you go further down the scale which I did as a practitioner you start to learn and you get to that 10 out of 10 of in the depths of health at every size and non-diet approaches you're like whoa you cannot use this as a as a tool to Mm. um, pursue weight loss because how can you help someone to honor their natural biological signals for food to eat when in the back of their head they're thinking well I can't go over x amount of calories because that's going to ruin my weight loss progress it's just it just can't work and at some point you might progress along intuitive eating and get to a sticking point where you're like no it's not working can't can't go any further um and I get I think it's a real weaning process because letting go of dieting tools and going over to sort of intuitive eating which can feel a little bit more open can feel really scary and so of course letting go of those if you're thinking well I know I can't keep restricting and doing what I'm doing but if I let go of those then what and it's it's a building up that trust isn't it it is and I think yeah I I see a lot of people turning intuitive eating into another diet essentially that that weight loss has to be the outcome and and I'm sure you've probably had this feedback with clients as well the idea of trying to eat the smallest amount possible intuitively you know like I'm intuitively oh I intuitively just want small portions and and you know trying to trick yourself into thinking that that's the case and I think a lot of it is like we try and tell ourselves oh no no we're not we're not we don't actually we don't actually, we're not actually hungry for cake or we're not actually hungry for those things. Um, but I don't know. That's not always the case, is it? No. Yeah. If I mindfully, then I'll maybe eat less and that'll result in weight loss. And I think logically our brain's like, okay, well, if I stop emotionally eating or if I stop eating past the point of what feels comfortable in my body mm. and I move more, logic says, well, I'll probably lose weight. But even though logic says that and you can, you know, uh, you can, yeah, logically think, well, that might be the case. It's not necessarily how things go. And it just sets you up for then feeling like this has failed. It turns into a, into a diet and just keeps you trapped, trapped in that diet cycle. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it gets a lot of people down, doesn't it? Because they, you know, well, I've been doing this intuitive eating thing. I should be seeing results I should you know I've still been weighing myself and I should be I thought I would be lighter because I'm yeah I am I'm eating intuitively now and and I think that's partly the mixed messaging of of what intuitive eating is because when we're talking about intuitive eating we're not just talking about the absence of not tracking which I think a lot of people think it is it's literally oh I'm not doing Weight Watchers or my fitness pal anymore so I'm eating intuitively, but eating intuitively is a framework of temperance principles that is designed to help you kind of 
we talked about that scale before, help you get from that that zero and gently bring yeah. you along so that you get to a point that works for you and, yeah. you know, without the judgment. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, so how has, so speaking present day, now working as an intuitive eating dietitian and specializing in, in a non-diet approach, how have you, you know, what has been the biggest difference you've noticed in your clients and how they've responded and how they feel about food and, you know, is, you know, compared to the weight loss clinic days, does it feel like a very different experience? Yeah, very different experience. It's uh, a lot more challenging in some ways (laughs) Um, because it's not a quick six week fix and off you go it's like actually I think it's not uncommon for people to expect to come to this work and think right a to b it's going to be a nice straight line process 10 principles and it's it's like a bit of a storm in the middle and it's about how you respond to those and how you you whether you react or whether you respond in a kind and compassionate way to that so a lot of the work is around like managing expectations we're doing a lot of unlearning a lot of relearning and I feel like it for me as a dietitian it's been like the last piece of the puzzle that has just brought everything together and it like almost I feel like in my core it's just like this feels right it feels Mm. like I'm ethically supporting people and not to say that it's easy but I think it brings a lot of people relief and they they a sense of oh my god there's nothing wrong with me I'm okay Mm. like actually yeah, what, what needs to be fixed is our culture, not not me. And how can I actually start to take the steps forward to do things that are going to take care of me? And um, I think it's just a lot, a lot more sustainable, a lot more compassionate and caring and kind and individual, like goes with the rhythms of in, individuals' bodies and what they need. And, um, and so I draw on a lot of like the nutritional science side of things, but a lot of sort of behavior and psychological um, sciences. And, and I just learn so much from my clients and from my supervisors and from peers. And, and no, no one journey is the same, but it's, it's just a lot more rewarding, I think, on both ends. Yeah, I, I think because I, I wonder where often weight loss is almost like putting putting a band-aid on a deeper problem and this really helps to kind of work into what that deeper issue is and and you know we speak a lot on this podcast about the idea that food often is a symptom of of deeper stuff and Mm. once you kind of can get to a good place with food you you realize that there are is deeper stuff that needs to be addressed but to get to that point there needs to be that you know that perhaps that relinquishing control around food that has been that coping mechanism for so long. Um, One of the, uh, one of the coping mechanisms that I wanted to specifically talk to you about today, because you've just launched a course on this is about emotional eating. And I just wanted your take on it as an intuitive eating dietitian. And, you know, so what is emotional eating for those listening? Like what would fall under the umbrella of, of perceived emotional eating? Um, and then what does intuitive eating say about intuitive eating? Because I believe it falls under one of the principles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so emotional eating falls under the principle number seven. 
and it's so emotional eating is a perfectly natural and normal thing and it's usually quite like an act of self-care but emotional eating gets a lot of bad press it gets a lot of stigma attached to it and it can be argued that in all eating in some form has an emotional attachment to it um if you think about it most cultures we have food is highly linked to our emotions from a young age so when we are babies we cry when we want food we go to a kids party we eat pizza and cake and party rings we go to a wedding a funeral there's all these different emotions attached to food and on a really basic level food is there for nourishment but it's also there for comfort and satisfaction and to soothe as well so it's not inherently a bad thing and I think that's a really really important message to first of all first of all state and with intuitive eating it's it's number seven principle number seven so it's further down the line not that intuitive eating is a step-by-step process in any way but it is further down the line because what can exacerbate what feels like emotional eating is the biological need for food so not honoring our hunger and not making peace with food so quite often when we are biologically fed we've made peace with food emotional eating can actually the majority of the time or a lot of the time can really dissipate and become non-problematic to that individual and just as you said Tally sometimes when we deal with we deal with the the kind of challenges around food and the relationship with food it can expose those things that we've been almost using food as a vehicle Mm. of to kind of hold ourselves together and so emotional the principle of emotional eating is really about identifying what is it is this actually emotional eating how can we raise some awareness around what's going on here and find other ways to soothe and comfort whilst allowing food to still be one of them because food is a totally valid coping mechanism however if it's our only core coping mechanism it doesn't always feel great um but i think emotional eating is actually a really great gift in a lot of ways because it's like when there's a desire to eat and you're not biologically hungry it's like a red flag popping up on the shoulder just saying like hey tally something's going on (laughs) it's a clue to say like something's up and you need to address it Um, And that might be through covering up and um, not covering up, but, you know, using food just to soothe in that moment. But also if it's constantly popping up, it's a red flag to say something needs addressing. And I think it's quite positive in lots of ways that we have the ability to like get that red flag popping up to say we need something. It's a good tool. Yeah, I love that reframe of it because I I think so often, and, and I think this can be the, be the same thing for when people have like bad body image days and you can flip it around and go like, okay, this is telling me something, something else is going on here. Yes. You know, the yeah. urge to, yeah, the urge to, to go and, um, you know, perhaps to eat and, and maybe this is falls into, and we'll get, I want to get into this a bit later on, but this falls into when mm-hmm. people perhaps feel the urge to binge and have a have a and when we talk about binge you know there's kind of different versions of that but there's kind of a clinical version isn't there and then there's like a perceived binge objective, which is subjective yeah objective subjective maybe you can explain the dif- d- the differences between those two things just before I 
say something objectivement is what like a psychologist would define as a, a, a large amount of food that is more than a normal you know not normal person but uh, another person might eat in a, in one sitting so it might be eaten three or four times what another person might eat in one sitting in a very short space of time a couple of hours and it feels very out of control there's a lot of um negative feelings attached to that and subjective is um someone might find that having on their terms having like one chocolate bar is a binge um yeah so it's so it's kind of but but it still comes with a lot of those negative feelings a lot of guilt anxiety shame and um yeah and if that that presents itself to you you're kind of curious for both those things I suppose like. yeah 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 and, and that's where we need to sort of address things in a bit of a systematic way and identify with the hunger and permission what what might be going on there um but it was interesting just when you said something there about bad bo- body image days someone said to me a client this week they were like Kat but I I don't have bad body image days I like feel like it goes on for like weeks and then it lifts and then weeks and and so I think I think just like normalizing that it's okay mm. if it's not just a day. <laughs> yes. Yes, I think that is so important. And even if it's not a single day and it is a, you know, extended period of time, that can yeah. still be a like, oh, okay, something Exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, it's more than a day. Really important to raise um because yeah. yeah, I think the whole like bad body image day has become perhaps a bit of a slogan almost or not a slogan but you know a bit of a, a phrase yeah. and you're right like the, the reality of it is it can be a lot different I think it's really important yeah. to highlight yeah so I want to go back to the emotions aspect mm-hmm. and all the different emotions and you know in preparation for our chat today I was kind of going over some um in you know look reading uh, the latest edition of the intuitive eating book by Evelyn Chivley and Elise Resch and just kind of going over that stuff and it just remind, and you know, they kind of list all these examples of these different emotions that you may, and that food may be a part of, whether it's like celebration, whether it's sadness, uh, mourning, yeah. or, you know, whether it's um, excitement or, yeah. and one of the ones that came up for me that, that in that, and I was like, oh, that's so, in, it is so interesting. And, and we certainly don't speak about it enough is the idea of it being a reward of food mm-hmm. being rewarded and that seed often gets planted like early in childhood when you know yeah you, you know if you behave you can have an ice cream you know if you're um if you get a good grade at school or you get a sticker from your teacher then we can go to the yeah. sweet shop um yeah and yeah I'm just interested in that you know in generally the emotions but I'm also really interested in that reward system because I think that kind of you know resonated with me a bit and you know with my family it was also I don't think this is quite the same but you know had to finish your plate before you got down from the table kind of thing and just all these little Mm. things you learn so I'm just curious as to your thoughts about that with your intuitive eating hat on Mm. I think my initial thoughts when you say about finishing all your plate before you come down from the table and using food as a reward I think it really depends on the individual how problematic that feels Mm. is it coming up once every so often or is it something that's coming up regularly in your week and it's causing a bit of distress and it was interesting I was having a discussion around making peace with food with a client this week and we were talking about 
something that she'd made peace with which was cheese and that was a food that she particularly loves but is always really sort of available to her and we talked about what it was about cheese that made her feel calm and, and safe around that and she's, she's done some work but it's not required as much work as say chocolate and then she said like I'd really love to be able to like just have one twirl on a Saturday night and I was like would you ever say that about cheese she's like no I can eat cheese any day of the week um and it was interesting that she'd like put this this fun food like as a thing that can be had on a Saturday night as like a treat like it's a Saturday night treat and I was like you wouldn't do that with any other food so that's really interesting and when we like with reward there's always going to be things to reward ourselves for right there's always going to be a bad day or a an event or something that we do at at work or something to reward ourselves for and and that's fine at times but I think when you make peace with that food like with the cheese the power's taken away from it and you're like well I can have that twirl on a Monday morning if I want to have that twirl on a Monday morning so it no longer becomes a treat you know because it's like so I think I think a lot of the power comes out of not making peace with the food. And that not making the peace is also rooted in restrict a perceived restriction of the food that it's only perhaps allowed at certain times or it's only um, one of the things that kind of yeah came up when I was planning this is this idea of and I remember thinking this myself like not being able to have certain foods in the house because I felt out of control around them yeah and you know but, you know, perhaps if there was an emotion, perhaps it was like a celebrate thing or like I've earned this or I deserve yeah. this, I would let myself have this said restricted food um, and I would eat a lot of it. So, for example, I'm thinking of like a pot of Ben and Jerry's, right? Yeah. I remember that I would be like, well, it's been a tough week. It's Friday. I'm going to go and have the Ben and Jerry's. But because that had always been, uh, you know, a on my bad food list and on Mm. my you know perceived to be like you know not a not healthy food that I only allowed myself to have it in these moments and I only allowed myself to have it and therefore I had to eat all of it at the time you know I would be like oh okay well I have to eat it now because it won't be available tomorrow it won't be you know I won't be able to do this for a while now because this is I've you know this is my quota of Ben and Jerry's so I'm gonna I must have it all now um because I don't want to have it again in the future and one thing I've realized and this was a kind of turning the corner for me and in my relationship with food was um I'm pretty certain I've got Ben and Jerry's in my freezer now and it's been there for months and I'm I'm, I I wanted it in the a moment and I don't really want it again and I'm kind of over it um but to be able to even have that in the house because before if it was there it was like I knew it was in the freezer I would have like x-ray vision I could see it in the drawer you know it would be on my mind a lot yeah yeah and I think that making that peace but also saying to myself I can have this whenever I want and it really took the power away from the food for me yeah 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 and that can happen and I think when it comes to emotional eating because I think that's 
I think it's really important to, I've said there's a bit of a, an order of ruling out the need for, ruling out biological hunger, making peace with food, and then actually is this an emotional thing that's going on here? And I think it's really important to be able to distinguish between what, what is a physical hunger, what's an emotional hunger. Mm. Um, so would you like me to talk a little bit about that? Because I just yes. think with having this conversation around emotional I'm like, I, I cannot, I, we cannot move on without talking about that as like a foundational thing. Let's do it. Let's do it. And it might sound quite basic, but being able to notice and respond to those early signs of hunger could be a really enlightening step of this but also really there's quite a lot to it um but a classic example of what I might typically see when someone comes to me and says I'm an emotional eater that's my main problem that's the thing I need to fix I um you know they might come home from work having a really busy busy day really stressed come home at five six o'clock at night or finish work later on and feel like they're kind of diving into the fridge uncontrollably, eating past what feels good, feeling guilty, and then, um, you know, telling yourself, I'll be good tomorrow, I'll start again. And what I classically see here is that many people that come to me like that are not eating enough in the day, and that might be through starting the day with physical restriction or uh, being really busy and rushed and just not really thinking about food, and another one is is putting expectations up around what we should be eating too high and many people that I work with are quite surprised when I go through with them like they're quite surprised to hear that they're just not eating enough and I think diet culture um really yeah set, it sets these expectations for us around what we should be able to eat in a day is way too high and so by the time the evening rolls around, there's that primal drive to want mm. to eat through hunger. We're, we're really hungry. And not only that, our, our hormones, our hunger hormones are ramped up later on in the day anyway. And so, of course, when you approach that food in the evening, it's going to feel out of control. And on top of that, you throw in the mix being unsatisfied with the options you've had throughout the day. Maybe there's lack of permission around those foods. Maybe... Um, uh, you've got hunger thrown in the mix you've got tiredness and stress and busyness and lack of preparation and it just feels like this perfect storm for emotional eating when actually it's layered like layers of an onion there's there's a lot of layers to it and that's where we we work together to figure out okay is there a possibility this could have been a physical hunger um before we we dive into whether this is an actual emotional thing or not um, that's so interesting and so yeah and I think a lot of people will relate to it I think I, I'm just thinking of the kind of conversations I have with people and you know the discussion around you know I just can't stop snacking in the evening or I just can't and that's a really common thing like how do I stop snacking and I see this happening not necessarily direct conversation with me but I just see this happening a lot um whether it's people doing like a and a on Instagram or something and the, the, the questions mm. like constantly come up and yeah. it's so interesting how, yeah, it, it, a lot of it can be that throughout the day we're not eating enough or we're eating things that are perceived to be healthy or the lower calorie option or, you know, like the diet yeah. culture friendly option, which is often like a low, 
you know, maybe it's like a low fat yogurt or something and this, and it's not truly satisfying our hunger, but we've been told that that's what people eat, (laughs) you know, whether we've read it in a magazine on, you know, someone's what I eat in a day. So we're not listening to what our body's telling us. We're constantly thinking and comparing ourselves to external sources. Mm, Yeah. And so I think the first thing is really building awareness around if you are that person that's like, why can't I stop snacking in the evening? Build an awareness around, well, what have I eaten today? <clears throat> Would that be enough for a child? Would I feed a loved one like that? Um, or is yeah, is there not enough, enough food? And, and that's where, yeah, awareness building and doing some noticing around hunger cues is, is really important. But physical hunger tends to sort of build quite gradually. And um, it's usually not that urgent. It's for a wide variety of different foods so we could go to like an international buffet and have lots of different <laughs> if only lots oh, of different <laughs> lots of different foods and it usually we feel satisfied after and we're not we're not we feel quite content and, th- and then we're not guilty about it and we can just move on but emotional hunger tends to come on quite suddenly it's like needs to be satisfied instantly it's in the absence, and this is the most important thing, it's in the absence of physical hunger. So there's no physical signs of hunger, which um, are things like, Tally, what are the physical signs of hunger? I, well, I can say this yesterday. I um, I didn't eat enough. I didn't eat enough during the day. And I got to about yeah. 6 p.m. and I was rather ravenous. Um, and my, my symptoms are I get, I find myself start getting a bit lightheaded. Um, this is that was more an extreme hunger but generally for me it's like I stop being able to think my head my head my my thinking starts to become um like I was writing something yesterday lunchtime and I was like no go and eat your lunch you need more brain food it was like my brain was slowing down um whether that be a little grumble in your belly or just one of the more subtle signs when I know that I'm starting to get to a point where I can eat is but we know this from the hunger and fullness scale, is I'm starting to think about, oh, I'm starting to think about food. I'm starting to think about what I'm going to have for lunch. So I'm like, oh, yeah. that sounds good. That sounds good. Um, where I know that when I'm full and satisfied, I'm like, oh, no, I can't. I can't eat anything. I'm not. I'm just doesn't doesn't sound appealing. But when things start to sound appealing and, you know, when you're with friends or something, you go, oh, oh I could eat that. Oh, I could have one of them. That's when yeah. I know that that's starting for me to, to the hunger starting to build. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the first sign for a lot of people is just thinking about food. Um, Yeah, and it doesn't always show up in the stomach. I think most people think it's going to be in the stomach, but it can be in, we can start to feel a bit tired, distracted, lose concentration, a bit lightheaded. I mean, I think by the time you've got to headachey and dizzy and hangry. (laughs) That's, yeah, for me, when the physical symptoms start, that's when I know that I've, I need to eat, like, I went past it. That I went past yeah. my sweet spot. That's when I knew. Um, but it yeah. wasn't until I learned about this through intuitive eating that I thought that I always had to be physically Ravenous. like my tummy in pain, hungry. Like I feel a bit hungry now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh. Um, I thought I always had to feel like that before I was allowed to eat. Yeah, definitely. Like before we give um, ourselves permission to eat. And I think that's yeah. common too. And I like to describe a nice time to eat as like polite hunger where you could eat, but you could wait half an hour is usually a really sensible and nice time to start eating. But quite often we don't think about lunch until we're 
probably to the point where we're like oh I need to eat now <laughs> and by that mm. point it's all intentions of eating moderately or consciously is is going to go out the window so I think when we're thinking about emotional eating it's like we have to rule out the biological need for food and then on top of that a common mistake that I see is that taste hunger so after a meal when people are like oh I just want you know a little something you might not be physically needing food in your stomach you're kind of full but you just need a bit of satisfaction Mm. and that is that taste hunger where you just need a little bit of something to round off the meal which is totally normal and natural and healthy and I always like to think of like kids lunch boxes you know when we have like a sandwich and some fruit and cheese and like some crisps or a little bag of like those chocolate animal things <laughs> oh love them <laughs> yeah and I, I think I just it, as adults we tend to like not normalize having that something to round off our meal with our food mm. and um so I wanted to normalize that sometimes taste hunger can get mistaken for emotional eating yes I- and once again, I had this experience yesterday because I was on my walk and I decided, oh, I would go to a donut shop and I bought some donuts as like a bit of a, well, I suppose something nice, something a bit different and fun to have this weekend to kind of yeah. graze, to graze on over the weekend. Yeah. And because um, these donuts are particularly like as big as cakes. <laughs> They're so big. Um, and... I got, I had, so we had our dinner when I was really, really hungry, had my dinner and I, you know, really enjoyed it. It was actually really tasty. And I was really, but I was like, oh, oh, I just want something sweet. I just want something sweet. I just want a bite of that donut. I don't even want the whole thing. I just want a bite because I know that will just hit the spot. Cause I've, I'm one of those people who has a sweet tooth and you know, I don't deny it, but I think, um, and sometimes that desire can be like a bit of fruit but often it's like something chocolatey or something and you know I don't try and fight it anymore because I know when I fight it then I will probably that's when I would maybe say that I've got four donuts in the other room I know I'd probably go and eat two of them rather than have the bit that I actually wanted and not to say and yeah and not to say like everyone's different and however much of a donut you want is your choice (laughs) no judgment but just for me specifically all I really wanted because I was quite full but all I really wanted was just that in that moment yeah yeah. Mm. um and I think we 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 need to like not underestimate the power of satisfying that because when we've not got that satisfaction like you say it builds and it builds and it builds to the point where you're like give me a bag of donuts and this and that and you're just unsatisfied so that's really important yeah so when we're talking about um I think it's nice to say that emotional eating is not an inherently bad thing I think that's really important to drive home um and say that it's not like a good or bad it's like a oh this is a thing it has its purpose but don't become over-reliant on it so in what other ways do we help do you help and does intuitive eating help people to think about other ways in which they can you know uh attend to their emotions and to acknowledge their emotions and and help us deal with them um that doesn't necessarily solely rely on food on food (laughs) okay yeah so you know I said about that red flag popping up on the shoulder and Mm -hmm. it's like hey something's up 
I think the first thing that we need to identify is how is that food serving you right now? Like put that spin on it. What is that food offering you? Is it offering you comfort, distraction, numbing out, sort of pass, pass, helping you to pass by time, offer a little bit of control in the moment? So when we get an idea of how what that food is, is doing for us, it gives us a little bit of a clue around what our unmet needs might be. And I think yes. that's an important an important thing to sort of tap into and put a spin on um, and when we take that power out of emotional eating being a bad thing I think it can help dissipate it a little bit but when we've looked at getting those biological needs met we need to let look at permission and I will go on to talk about um you know how to manage our emotions without always using food but I think in terms of making peace with food I've got a little bit of a checklist as to how do you know if you're if you've actually made peace with food or not because this will interfere with everything. <laughs> what is so, on the list? Is that on the list? Are you, made, are you eating regularly? Regular meals and snacks. Are you eating regular meals and snacks that are rich in different textures and flavours and that you actually enjoy? Um, are you switching up your meals and you're getting a good variety of different meals and snacks and things that are going to satisfy you? Are you in a position where you're able to not label foods as good and bad? Have you, you really made peace with, with that food? Is your kitchen like well stocked up with a variety of different foods that bring you joy and satisfaction? And I think if you're doing those things, you know that you're getting those textures, those flavours, that, that fun, that joy, that eating enough and eating variety and regularly, you know, you're kind of setting yourself up in a nice way yeah you're setting the stage almost like setting the stage yeah you're laying the foundations you're like yeah I've made peace I'm good and um and I'm not saying that you need to have 100% made peace with all foods and in a way that means you'll never have any judgment on your shoulders (laughs) um but you're able to like bypass that judgment and do what you need to do in order to honor your honor your body and your needs Mm. and then we look at okay, are you, you know, are you kind of getting some of your basic needs met? And I like to think about intuitive eating, like building a house where you've got those foundations, which is really making sure you are, everything I've said there about food available, honouring your needs, Um, self-care, which is really about making sure we're getting our basic needs met and we have... um, by self-care, I mean we're kind of managing our schedule, we're setting our boundaries, we've got a supportive network around us, we're sleeping well, we're managing stress, we've got those foundations in place and sometimes we end up doing quite a bit of work on just like, how is your day like looking? Because this yeah. isn't manageable. <laughs> um, and anyone in this situation would be feeling a bit out of control. If we look at those foundations, then we can start building the walls of the house, which is like, eating regularly eating adequately eating enough and that's like the red bricks the roof which is honoring your hunger and then we can start to layer in in the rooms of the house which is like um are you getting satisfaction are you honoring your fullness are you moving intuitively and we can start building those rooms and then we can add in the soft furnishings at the end which is like the pictures on the walls the cushions the the furniture the colors and that is layering in some gentle nutrition 
And so I think when we've got those foundations in place of really taking care of ourselves, honouring our needs, then we can start to look at the emotional eating. Um, and if we know that we are still regularly using food to soothe, comfort, distract, and it's just not feeling good, then it's looking at, okay, well, what need isn't being met? Yeah. Um, and honestly like nine times out of ten when we've done all that groundwork this stuff is really less of a problem <laughs> um but we'll look at okay well how are you feeling what's going on and that's where have you seen the emotional word will i have yes yes so if anyone wants to find that just type into google emotional word will and you'll see this big wheel of 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 emotions and i think just putting a name to how we're feeling can be really helpful through um, through using that will. And I think identifying the feeling is a really first, you know, first um, helpful step through journaling, through looking at that word will, through meditating, through chatting with our friends and really identifying what is going on here, what need is not being met. And then we can start to identify what our coping toolkit is. And I like to think of it like a toolbox so, you know, with like, I'm so visual. A to a toolbox. I love the visuals. I love the visuals because I am too. So this is great. <laughs> yeah. A toolbox. You know, it has that top tray, that top layer. Yeah. So you open up that toolbox. The top layer that you see is like the first tools that we can access. And for a lot of people, that can be food because food is consistent. It's reliable. We've, we've been taught like that from a young age. Like if we took that top tray away, and remove that completely you're going to have to dive into this deep dark box of like oh my god look at these tools how where do I even start mm. and so it's not about taking that top tray away it's about keeping those that food there as a coping tool but building out around that and when we know what our how we're feeling what our needs are and again type into google list of human needs <laughs> there's a list that comes up and you can use that if you're really struggling to identify what you need but quite often it's like rest space clarity connection feeling heard air lots of needs that when we're ever whenever we're feeling negative as, as humans it's because usually because one of our needs just isn't being met so we identify what that need is and then we can find a way of how of, of, and not that this is easy at all but of learning to deal and manage those feelings and that might be through therapy that might be through journaling that might be through speaking with a friend that might be through just riding out and recognizing that it will pass and crying and really meeting those feelings with curiosity because I think we're sold this idea that we should get to a state of happiness and maintain that and never fluctuate <laughs> yeah yeah and you know about this Tally you've had loads of you've talked about therapy and stuff like dealing with those feelings is not an easy thing to do and that is probably the hardest part of it but it's also the most rewarding and like stabilizing part is when you do understand yourself a bit more and you do understand what the red flags are trying to point to because I think yes. for a lot of people we don't even know what those needs are because they've been so buried and so hidden and so um they feel so out of reach because certain things and 
And I'm thinking as well, when you're saying about the list of needs, and I was thinking about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is the, yeah. the pyramid yeah. um, that's saying that one of the most basic needs we have is uh, food is to be adequately fed and nourished. Um, and when this isn't being met, um, then, you know, that is going to help have a knock on effect to everything else because it is the foundation and, and how that when that need is met, and no, we've spoken about today, when that need is met, then we can start thinking about the other le- the layers in the pyramid of those other needs. Um, yeah. And it's also important to say two things. When we're restricting ourselves, whether it be through dieting, through not necessarily thinking we're dieting, but, you know, having that good, bad food and only allowing ourselves to eat healthy, and I use quote, you know, air quotes for that, that is a perceived restriction, whether it's a physical restriction or a, or a psychological restriction around what we're allowed to have. For, you know, only allowing yourself to eat a certain amount of calories a day is a yeah. restriction to the body. Um, one of the things I've seen going around, and I wonder if this is like a TikTok thing and maybe it's like, so, yeah, or like younger things, is just how common it is right now for people to be going on 1,200 calorie diets. Yeah. when that number is usually um recommended for toddlers toddler. <laughs> yeah it's like it's it's wild to me and yet I actually have had a lot of conversations with people where this has been a lot of people's reality or you know so I think that need of food that need of nourishment is really important mm. and in the same way we know that for people who you know the need for food banks right now has skyrocketed in the UK, in the US. A lot of people aren't able to meet that basic need of food through through real food scarcity. Um, yeah. And so I think we have to acknowledge that there is that that aspect to it and that, that privilege to it to be able to like stock your stock oh, your yeah. kitchen with everything you know you want exactly and, yeah. oh god yeah and I don't want to underestimate the, that as a as a real privilege mm. and a lot of people for that you know for a lot of people getting the basic needs met is getting food available is having yeah. food available yeah and that is about enough and and that's also okay mm. it's about recognizing where you're at what are your needs and even that person that's you know following a 1200 calorie diet like I recently came across this um bit of a like learning from it was from Fiona Sutherland and it's about the evolution of our human mind and we are wired as humans to seek safety to you know stay out of danger to stay in a community and back in the days that would look like you know um, staying away from the poisonous snakes and the poisonous plants and and staying away from any danger and listening out for rustling bears in the bushes that might come and attack us and building shelters and finding water and building up the skills to take care of us and our communities and you fast forward to 2021 we are our brains are still wired the same mm. but it looks like you know how can I fit in how can I fix my body how can I change this how can I <clears throat> How, how can I, you know, we, we end up ruminating and worrying and overthinking and and I wanted to just highlight that anyone that is, has been through those things, you and I have been through engaging in those behaviours, we're only doing our best and we're only, yeah. you know, we're wired in a way to do those things mm. and 
we're only doing the best that we can with the knowledge that we have and the skills and the capabilities and um yes some of those behaviors might not be serving us but it's it's also i just wanted to sort of validate and normalize and say that it's it's okay that if you're there as well you're just doing what our brains are wired to do which is to stay safe to fit in to um, protect ourselves and in this world that we live in it's like let's make ourselves as small as we can yeah let's make ourselves look like everyone else or or perceived to look like everyone else because you know then we'll be safer exactly Um, and yeah and yeah I think it's really important to highlight the the no judgment to that and and the role that that has had and I think when we're talking about disordered relationships with food and you know eating disorders as well um I think it's it's not that we know that they're long to serve us long term and Mm. that you know they they are detrimental to our well-being long term but they it got us to a point, you know, it got us through perhaps a really difficult moment. It helped us cope with something much harder than we could, we're, you know, wired to cope with, hence why we fall hard on these more extreme coping mechanisms. Yeah. And, but like we say, but we know it's not going to serve us long term. So to kind of recognize what it does and what it did, but to say that this can't go on forever and, I deserve a different path and I there is a different path and you know I want to explore that and I'm curious about how I can you know how I can cope in different ways we had Laura Thomas on um at the beginning of January and she's I don't know if you've seen her new Just Eat It workbook yes um it's great I've not got it yet but I need to get it yeah I think you'll love it and what we yeah. had a good discussion about in that chat as well was was the idea of developing that self-care toolkit that we kind of discussed and and how important that is as as a foundation to to doing this work to say that yeah. you know once you know you've got other things to fall back on you know it it takes the pressure off the, yeah. the need for perfection and control around food yeah definitely and I love the phrase um to oh, what's it called consider what is draining you and what is sustaining you yes (laughs) I learned that recently the drains and the sustains which are going to be different for different people but what's draining you what's sustaining you and how to kind of for everyone that's going to be individual but um I did a little chat with she was uh she's self-care queen on Instagram Georgina Dodsworth and she was like drawing out all the areas of your life relationships home work and just rating them on a scale of naught to 10, which ones are sustaining you, you know, what's, what in those groups is sustaining you and draining you. And I think that can be quite a nice method of, of, and simple as well, just reflecting mm. on what's working, what's not. <laughs> I love that. And when I think about exercise as well, when we think about movement, the same thing is like, are you literally physically and mentally exhausted after a week of your workouts? Or do you feel you know, yeah. re-energized, revitalized, you know, um, and that's the difference, like that, that idea of either, you know, you know, being completely exhausted to be, you know, to be doing it right in diet culture world, but actually, yeah. 
we're looking for longevity we're looking to be sustained rather than exactly. drained I'm gonna remember that yeah. I love that I love that <laughs> um I wanted to touch on binge eating disorder specifically because um I'm seeing this come up a lot more to be honest and I think and I know there are people listening who um don't know where to go with this and don't don't know what to do so I thought perhaps we could just I don't know just just chat about it briefly and and perhaps point people in in a direction um my understanding and you can completely tell me if I'm wrong my understanding is that at the root of that need to binge um is a physical or psychological restriction that Mm -hmm. you know the layers of it that that there is a restriction and that which kind of makes sense to what we've been discussing and also that one of the best ways to get ourselves to a you know there's layers to it because this is this is a you know a, a, a diagnosis of an eating disorder yeah. and we know that there's layers to that and there's therapy that's needed and there's there's lots of stuff that needs needed yeah. but in one yeah. of the ways that we can like we say get to the point of being able to address the deeper stuff is um regularly eating enough mm-hmm. and I think you you're right you know if it's binge eating disorder is something that needs management with a team um mm and needs input from a doctor, a psychologist, a dietitian, and needs the proper support. So I think anyone that feels that they have something like binge eating disorder, and if I just quickly pull up the criteria here, because yeah. I'm not really not off the top of my head, then I think it's important to seek the right support for that. Um, because it is complex, it is laid, and actually sometimes what's necessary from someone like a dietitian like myself is is usually uh, um, before we work on making peace with food, there's actually a a bit of structure needs to be put in place Mm. through the support of a registered dietitian or someone that's trained in eating disorders to be able to help with getting eating to a point where it's regular and it's adequate and that your because hunger signals can be very disrupted as well and um and then we can sort of start doing more of the work around intuitive eating so i'm not saying intuitive eating is not for binge eating disorder at all um it's it's and eating disorders are really there's like a spectrum of eating disorders a criteria for diagnosis and then there's like normally eating all the way at the end of the spectrum then there's a whole range of disordered eating in the middle and it's it's it can be a really not a clear line between well, what is an eating disorder and what's not but ultimately they're all the same sorts of behaviors but just binge eating disorder to hit the diagnosis is just a more extreme mm-hmm. version of of um you know feeling out of control around food mm-hmm. but with binge eating disorder um if we look at what what it's characterized by by so it's eating a discrete in a discrete period of time an amount of food that's definitely larger than what most people would eat in a similar period of time under similar circumstances a sense of lack of control overeating during the episodes a sense of not being able to stop eating or control what you're eating you know if someone were to kind of walk in it it might be very difficult to kind of stop what's happening um it's associated with eating very quickly, eating to the point of feeling very uncomfortable, um, eating large amounts of food when you're not physically hungry, 
eating alone um, or and feeling very sort of disgusted and depressed and, and guilty afterwards. And um, it occurs on average at least once a week for three months. So and there's there's levels of severity of how often in a week, you know, a mild level might be one to three times a week and a more extreme level might be twice a day, every day. So I think if anyone's in senses that they might be at that level with this, it, it's really important to just get the right right support mm. um, and to seek professional advice because um, yes, making peace with foods is, is important, but there's other things that need to be put into place to make sure that person is kind of safe as well. Absolutely. Um, and I, I imagine a lot of people listening would want to look for someone who is um, trained, you know, is trained in, in that kind of health every size approach and, um, you know, has, has the, that, that understanding so that they, they kind of feel, um, understood and, and, and safe in that environment as well. Um, and yeah, absolutely. It's all about getting the support you need. And, you know, even though we're talking about things like even like along that spectrum of, disordered eating and eating disorders um everyone deserves help you know and people will need different levels of help and people would need different levels of guidance but I think ultimately no if if you feel that your relationship with food is, is off and and you know you know not quite right or not where you want it to be that that is a sign um, whether you identify with binge eating disorder or other eating disorders, or you just feel like there's something not right here, that there's the le- there, there is a level of support out there for everyone. Yeah. Um, which feels harder to access. I know, you know that generally when people are talking about eating disorders, it's about going to your GP in the UK and asking for a referral. That gets tricky when um, people get, you know, essentially get misdiagnosed or do not get given the same level of treatment if they don't meet a certain weight which I think is a, a really awful barrier um and therefore people are slipping through the cracks and um you know not being looked after in the way they deserve so um there there are there are people out there though who are doing um amazing things and you know there are people for you so if you feel that you're not being heard always yeah. don't be discouraged and think that there's no hope because there is definitely and I yeah I absolutely anyone that falls into that criteria of just feeling like something isn't feeling good with my eating you don't have to fit into that criteria to get support yeah, yeah. and I know so many people that come to me they're like I don't know I, I feel like I'm the only one that has this problem and and I don't feel like I should need support I'm really frustrated that I need to get that I'm needing to get support and and yeah you're totally valid of seeking support and I work with some really intelligent people that are like everything else is together in their life like they're just like but there's I just don't understand and as as you know as I know you know I was a registered dietitian it's not about more food knowledge it's 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 more complex than that it's deeper than that and it's totally okay to yeah seek support wherever you are on that in that process if if anything's just not feeling good for you 
And you are, um, so yeah, explain to everyone how you're working and, and specifically that you're, you have an offering around emotional eating, um, a course. So perhaps you can um, chat a bit about that and explain who that's for. Yeah, so my course is coming out on what's well, available for purchase now. We're starting on the 9th of February and it's called Coping with Feelings Without Always Turning to Food. So it's, it's an online comprehensive course to help with understanding and managing emotional eating. And we cover in there in depth the what is of emotional eating and where that fits into the bigger picture of intuitive eating. There's an opportunity to connect with like-minded other people that are going through the same challenges. So I have relaunched this. I, I did it last year in May and we're now going to have weekly meetups. So there's going to be the opportunity, optional, to join in on weekly Q&A and support sessions. I'll be there leading them and there'll be other people in there as well. So you've got that weekly accountability. It's going to run over the course of six weeks, but you have access to all the course materials for um, three months. So we go into a, a deeper understanding of your own behaviours, your own relationship with food. We look at um, what might be contributing. We go in depth on hunger and how to connect with those early signals. We go in depth on how to make peace with foods and working through some of that. We, um, it, it's predominantly led with webinars. So there's five like little masterclasses that are between 12 and 45 minutes long. And there's guided body scans. There's um, links to further resources to support you. There's a Q&A session recorded with me answering your like most burning questions around emotional eating and I also have uh, Brie who is a body image therapist who she's on, on Instagram as body image with Brie she comes on and from a therapy perspective talks about emotional eating self-care body image and how it all kind of links in with eating and um so it's, it's very comprehensive yeah and <laughs> <laughs> There's lot, lots there. Um, and I think the key exciting thing about it is the fact that it's sort of, you're getting that accountability because this work isn't as an easy as you can imagine. Mm. And so I think it's nice to have, you know, someone to talk to each week that can support you through this. Um, and that, yeah, that's coming out on, on Tuesday the 9th, but it's available. It's the last couple of days basically to get access to that for now. Um, yeah, and who, and who do you think is like that? Who, who do you think that kind of appeals to? And who's that for? It is for, to be honest, this course, I've called it how to cope with your feelings without always turning to food. But it really is going to be applicable to <clears throat> anyone that's struggling with their relationship with food that would maybe label themselves as a stress eater, emotional eater, doesn't understand why they can't get control over their eating. Um, it's not appropriate for someone with an active eating disorder. So I've kind of made that quite clear on my um, the course page. And I've answered lots of common questions as well on, on that course page. But yeah, it's really for, I think, anyone that wants to get deeper into intuitive eating. And we touch on some of the real core principles. And, um, but maybe, with, but it's got more of a spin of emotional eating. But I would say the course is, you know, themed around that, but it's it goes into 
I think a lot I think it could be relevant to anyone that's kind of wanting to get into more depth on intuitive eating basically it sounds it sounds great and and I think it's kind of a and these are the kind of options people have if they're looking to you know access that that help for, with their relationship with food there, there's some amazing resources out there um and I often point people in your direction anyway as I know, <laughs> I you're know. so great so I, I will continue continue referring to you as well so yeah. um we finish every episode by asking every person what their most recent train happy moment is you know a moment of connecting with their body through movement or perhaps through rest and I know and we haven't spoken about it today but we could have we definitely chat about it another time but I know that you're just like a really keen outdoorsy person um last time I saw you we met and you'd like paddleboarded to the location where we were um so yeah you you all you seem to be full of adventure and you're a very outdoorsy person um so I don't know, maybe has there been a fun outdoorsy train having moment recently? Yeah, I was saying to you earlier, Tally, I love doing things that just make me forget about my phone. And yes. Make oh. me like I'm fully engaged in that experience or that activity because I cannot think about anything else in that moment. Mm. And that's what I love. And I love that sense of being like, I love like being battered by the elements a little bit. <laughs> which is perfect in January in the UK yeah not not always definitely there's time for like um you know just going for a nice walk and but I live down in Paul on the south coast and we've actually had a little bit of surf down here so at Bournemouth Pier there's a surf spot and also in Kimridge which is just down the road but we've been going out um last weekend for example surfing and it's just I'm so lucky that we have the possibility to do that down here and Stuart, my partner's really sports himself and buys me lots of toys. Like I've got a surfboard, which is cool because he brought it for me for my birthday last uh, Christmas a couple of years ago. And that was my train happy moment last weekend where it was quite scary in some ways because you're like being a bit tumbled by all the waves. But it's just getting out there. I've got my wetsuit. I've got my like wetsuit hood on. I'm like... Because it's freezing right now. It's freezing. It's legitimately like... The temperature is at freezing. It's at freezing. And I've got like, Stuart's got a heated rash vest. So I've got that on. Got all of the like five mil wetsuit, head to toe. And when you're out there, it's it's fine. So I think my train happy moment is being able to go and do those things that just disconnect you from mm. the world. And that for me is, you know, I can do that with surfing. And I appreciate that being in a city or somewhere else it's not possible but I think anything whether it be baking or listening to music or like going for a walk in a different spot or in nature and just anything that can just just take us away from being on our phones on computers and um, make our brain just just forget about everything can be really healthy oh and yes I love that the whole forget your phone activity I think that's so important that's why I love swimming generally being in the water because it's like you physically can't take your phone in the water um and with swimming I always say like people can't talk to you (laughs) you know you can't get distracted you kind of have to like be with yourself which is is really hard um but at the same time through movement I think that's a great way to learn to start being with yourself and being with your you know being being in your body and being in your head as well definitely and there's a new thing that's come out called like is it called like 
I always get his name wrong, but it's like the Hoffman technique. Is this the ice bath person? Yeah, yeah. I always forget his name, but Wim Hof or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, but he, so he like, it's like about immersing yourself in in cold water, even if it's in the shower Mm. for a period of time, because in that moment when you're cold, all your brain can do is think about kind of keeping you alive and keeping you breathing. And I think the same principle applies with meditation, with surfing in zero degrees, with (laughs) Wim Hof, whatever. It's like doing something that just takes you away and makes you just go inwards and focus on breathing and living and surviving. Mm, back in the end, the end of summer last year, we were able to go to Cornwall on holiday and um, I got encouraged and coaxed into swimming first thing in the morning. And, you know, it would be, it would be cold. It was cold. And this was in September, so the how you're doing this in January, I do not, I can't in even comprehend. You've got to find my wetsuit. Yeah, I did, and I just had this little swimming costume on. Mm. And um, it was, you know, it was proper, like, take a breath away, freezing in the water. And I was very much coaxed in the first day. But by the end of the week, we'd literally do it every single day. And it was, I don't know, it was just such a refreshing start to the morning. And I was just so grateful to have, like, a little swim in the sea and... I did kind of start to get it. So I do understand why you're quite the water baby. Like I do start, I was like, oh, okay. You, start you do. And you, you do. really feel, I don't know. You just, it's just, there's something about the salt water, isn't there? Yeah, there's definitely something about being in the cold water. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's my train happy moment. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I really appreciate you sharing it. Um, Kat, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and thank you so much for all your intuitive eating insights. I think it's been really helpful. Where can people find you? Where can people find more about this course? Where can people just generally, um, yeah, follow you and follow your work? Yeah. So I am on social media as at nude nutrition RD and that tag so n-u-d-e that tag is hashtag strip the nonsense that's why I went with that um brand name because people are like are you nude on your page no. <laughs> um, like the naked like naked chef kind of thing <laughs> yeah, so nude nutrition on instagram and mainly my website which is www.nudenutritionrd.com and yeah predominantly offer one-to-one support and I'm just I've got a membership site so community on there which is uh, where you can get sort of accountability partners and you can um, get coaching videos from me and I've got this kind of inner circle community which has got lots in there so that's available to find out more about on my main website and again my course is on my main website as well so and you can find that through my Instagram handle We'll link all of that in the show notes as well. So don't worry, people can find you yeah. through that as well. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Oh, thank and you for having me. I love chatting with you. Total pleasure, total pleasure. Thank you. Bye. And I love all that you're doing as well. I'm always recommending your... Oh, thank you. All right. <laughs> Bye. All right, take care. Thanks, Tally. And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com. 
to become the train happy trooper of the week and if you have a burning question you would like me to answer then please send those in too and it may be answered in our bonus q a episodes once again thank you for listening and i will speak to you soon planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.